So how's our resident Fortnite fiend doing? <laughs> You're uh, addicted. Decent. I would not use. What time did you play till? I would not use Saturday the word night? addicted so lightly. Yo, man, anyone who plays something till three thirty a.m. is addicted. Hey now, hey now. Okay, this is this is what happened. Stanley and I, my partner and I, we started playing. Four grown ass first adults. First of all, okay, we didn't actually start playing until like one a.m. Which just indicates that we stay up really late. I feel like that's Saturday such a night. Hong Kong thing okay. to start like so an like, activity at 1 a.m. Yeah, quite literally we'd like eat dinner or like watch a movie or whatever else we were doing. And then we like turn on the PlayStation at like 1 a.m. Okay, so late. And then I see that Nate, Eugene's little brother, is online. And then I was like, oh, Sherry, his girlfriend's online too. I was like, oh, it's just the two of them. They're playing duos. Like they're not playing with Eugene and the rest of the regular squad. And... I mean, this is not meant to be a criticism of you, Dan and Jason, who are all very lovely people. But I was more compelled to join them because it was Nate and Sherry. Stanley and I could join them as another two as another couple. I mean, I don't know how many couples like say, Nicole oh, let's hang out on Fortnite games. together. It's a but rarity. I actually said on the mic to Nate and Sherry, this feels like a double date. And then Nate said, this is the best double date I've been on. <laughs> he would. Go. He would. You're fired up not, right now. This should not be a Fortnite You're fired podcast. up over Fortnite. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm interested in the Did social you... aspect. It was not just about the winning, though. That felt nice. But it was nice to just hang out. And, like, there's a lot of driving in Fortnite. And, like, the four of us are in a car together, which is very much feels like a real life situation. Like a road trip? Kind of. Yo, man. You... I don't know if I'm being dumb, but, like. Yeah. Did you change your like, skin yet? No. You're still on the basic one. Yo, I was yeah. thinking of gifting Tri- you guys I'm one. I'm tricking people into thinking we're a bot. Thinking of giving you guys, like gifting you with the Balenciaga one, but I'm like, mm, Don't do it, Eugene. It's fine. That. It's not- I need to save that money though for my- like pa- What you call it? You buying it affects the gameplay, which no. I asked you about on WhatsApp. I double checked. It, it does kind I of. I to know. You feel better about yourself. You feel more confident. Okay, but it doesn't give me like extra HP no, or extra. But sometimes or a lot of competition is psychological. This is spoken like a true competitive sports player. But maybe what you can do is you can use it to your advantage because, okay, in Fortnite, there are like computer characters, like not non playable characters, but just like bots. Yeah. Right? Who you'll go up against. But maybe you should just start acting like a bot and do bot like movements. I think I do have bot-like movements anyway because I don't know how to build, which is a prototypical bot-like thing All right. to do. All okay, right. this is honestly enough. Enough Fortnite uh, chit-chat. I feel like we should go into my subject. Sure, let's do it. I already kind of wanted to allude to it. Because we're like a gaming podcast. We're like I'm a here gaming and fashion podcast. And I don't know. We're like... Internet? Dude, digital culture... Well, now it's so broad. Digital culture. That's like literally life. Life is digital culture we're, now. We're a life podcast. This is Making It Up, co-hosted by myself, Sharice Poon, and Eugene Can. We come together on a weekly basis to talk about things that we are interested in, have questions about, want to get each other's thoughts on. Making It Up is produced by Macon, which is original storytelling at its purest through captivating audio, engaging words, and beautiful visuals. Making up is an exercise in analyzing and dissecting important movements in creative culture. It's an opportunity to sound off on each other and make sense of the complex intertwined world we live in. 
we try to come to some sort of conclusion in order to be helpful to you, our listeners, but really we are working through things and we appreciate you working through them with us. Making Up is supported by our generous Patreon members. To help us keep going, consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash making for Discord access, exclusive newsletters, and more. Let's get into it. Okay, my subject this week, can blockchain change the way video games are monetized? Okay, it's funny because once again, Eugene sends me a list of topics. He says outright, this is the one you should pick. I want to hear your take on it. I did not look at any of the other links. I said, fine. Did you enjoy it? I did. I really did enjoy it. So I'm like two for two. You are. You are two for two in picking things. This is the power of human creation. But only because you've known me for like a really long time. Well. And we do this podcast together. I don't know. Okay, fine. Well, okay. This is a complete tangent. But in order to truly find out how good you are at curation, I think we'd have to test you recommending people things that you've only known them for maybe like three months. You know how I know I'm good at curation? Because I go into client meetings and I say things. Like within, you know, 30 minutes and like, yeah, I agree with that. You what you just said does not indicate that that's power of curation. No, because you it indicates be I curated the ideas in my head. But you could just be persuasive. You think so? You think I am that, you know, I have that much charisma? I'm just saying that I don't think in that situation you can directly tie it to curation. Anyway, the article that Eugene sent me comes from a platform slash company called Navic. And this is a business that provides market research, game design assistance, user acquisition expertise, M&A due diligence, all of that related to the business of gaming. And they put out a newsletter, which what we're talking about comes from. And this part of the newsletter in particular was written by Ryan Fu. So the particular video game of interest that is spotlighted here is Star Atlas. And Star Atlas is, according to Ryan Fu's description, an open world space exploration grand strategy MMORPG set in a galactic universe with play and earn mechanics it's quite and hyped player up. ownership. Like pretty hyped up. Is it? This one is. I mean, look at... Look this at, is the first time I've heard of it. If you look at the amount in which some of the game items have sold for, you'll be okay. Like people mm. are big into it. Well, you can provide that insight a little bit later. So let me tell people a little bit more about this game. It is meant to be a AAA game, which means it's really large. It's very well developed. It has beautiful graphics, etc. Top of the line, big studio. And the concept is that players pilot ships, engage in trade, commerce, and battle over ownership of scarce resources in a kind of outer space galaxy setting. Star Trek. Star Wars. Star Atlas. Another <laughs> one of the stars. <laughs> and as the, you know, the topic as I introduced it, part of the interest is that it's going to be built on the Solana blockchain, which is intentional for a couple reasons. Well, one, it's experimental. Also, they get a lot of funding this way. And it actually is related to the game's function and form. So the blockchain will handle all of the in-game transactions that the gameplay is designed for. And 
there is a interesting possibility that it can be a play and earn game for its players. Essentially, a whole new virtual economy where players play the game, but in-game currency is related to a real-life value. Yep. So, I mean, this is interesting to me because, I mean, I play a lot of video games, not just Fortnite, and you do have to earn money in order to enjoy gameplay. Like, you have to earn in-game money. So there was a period of time, I mean, I still love Animal Crossing, I play it less now. Anyway, Animal Crossing, you have to earn bells, okay? And then you... Use that to like renovate your house and buy clothing. And it's not at all re- related to like in life value, but you still need that money in order to like do things in the game that you want to do in a, in a very practical sense. I mean, in the same way that you can't so buy bells. Many, do you mean with real money? Yeah. I think you can. But through a but secondary through a workaround yeah. system. Yeah. So it's like I have 100 bells as well. to send and you. And Ryan does talk about it in another article that I wound up reading in relation to this Star Alice article. Um, probably the best video game example of a game earning people money is, wow, World of Warcraft. Yeah. So, for example, in World of Warcraft, if you are very good, then you could charge people money to help them level up. Or you could charge them money for in-game weapons. And there's this whole side economy that Blizzard does not, in the game, intend to happen. And so the, the actual like video game mechanics are not designed to work in that way. Yeah, and what's but imp- people have created yeah. a whole system around it. But what's interesting about that is like what you described as a service of me being leveled up by someone else requires me to give them a password. Right. That's actually really different than I think what's happening in a sort of Web3, Web3 being decentralized, where ownership of your data kind of resides with you versus with the centralized platform, which is a different way of looking at how the Internet is going to should work and how it's structured. Yeah. So, I mean, we've talked about several different types of video game play and its relation to money. And Ryan Fu goes into pretty high level of detail about all these different types and this sort of wow system is what he calls play to earn so i play the game and i can on the side earn money from my play you know i could sell people skins and weapons and things like that star atlas as ryan fu calls i'm not sure if the studio calls it this themselves is intended to be a play and earn so it happens concurrently you are both enjoying the gameplay as you would enjoy any video game gameplay. And then it so happens that you are working with blockchain and therefore it is a real currency. Mm-hmm. It's interesting stuff to me. There are concerns, I think. What are the concerns? Are there concerns that came up to you in your mind? Well, I was thinking in terms of incentives and whatnot, and even gameplay, as we know within the world of media, Free media supported by advertisements gives a certain type of experience versus media that's supported by memberships and subscriptions, right? I'm curious how this and money itself will influence how gameplay ends up happening. Mm, I think I think that is the big question mark, which is how does this model of monetization affect game development? Because we don't know yet. 
actually, but the fact that there are so many players chipping in some amount of their own money can push the game in interesting directions. Um, according to the developers, the players are going to um, acquire a say in the game, like yeah. in a real way. Actually, most video games are in touch with their community, but because this video game, the gamers are part owners. Yeah. The it's very much a theoretical situation. They could have ownership in a very concrete way that affects how things go, but it might not be any different from the way gaming communities work now. I mean, I don't know what gaming communities you're in, but the only one that I follow, and even though I don't play it anymore, is the FIFA one. And there's a lot of complaints around FIFA gameplay. And what's interesting is that when the most recent one released, FIFA 2022, people actually really enjoyed the gameplay, but they were afraid that by the first patch, FIFA would just return back to its old style of being very arcadey and something that's just driven not by tactics and reality, but by just an arcade-like, fast-paced type of gameplay. Mm. But I think that what you're trying to say is that in this new world where the players are part owners, you have more of an influence in driving gameplay. Because I think ultimately there is always going to be a divisive wedge, right? EA Sports, who owns FIFA, they exist to make money. And you as a player, you play for entertainment purposes. On the flip side, Star Atlas, you're a part owner. So you're incentivized to both create a good experience for yourself, but also to... How do I put this? Like kind of make money? Make yourself a living. Yeah. That's a big dream out of this. That At least the big dream that is hy- hypothesized in this article. Yeah. Uh, there's another game. It's something that's been known as a pay to earn and that's Axie Infinity. So Axie Infinity has significantly changed the lives of certain people. But there, I say this because obviously the amount that you earn is relative to the cost of living. But for a lot of people in the Philippines, they've been able to create a better life for themselves because of pay to earn. Yeah, I think what is uh, really interesting but also concerning is the fact that people could be making a living from their video game play. One very interesting sentence from this article that Ryan Furo is that he said, Star Atlas is tantalizing to many players who dream of being able to make a living inside an immersive video game world. For example, players can earn by tracking down traders and plundering their ships before reselling them on the marketplace for Atlas, Star Atlas token, and then trading that Atlas into fiat. The very first question that came to my mind when I read that sentence was, who are these players who want to make their living inside the video game world? But there's tons of people that would just play video games all day, right? There are tons of people who play video games all day. But I think there's a distinction between playing video games for fun and playing video games within a system where you have to earn money or could lose money. Mm -hmm. I think that is a different type of engagement and pressure. Like I know that they ideally want you to have an experience where you have genuine play for entertainment and also happen to earn money. But I can't remove from my mind the fact that what is a game becomes like investment and speculation yeah that that's where my head is at i mean the thing that is really important here is just defining the incentives like the incentives of you creating value through gaming 
makes me wonder like how do I put this? It feels a little bit dystopian in the sense that like that's what your world comes down to is like you're playing a game and that is your whole life, right? Now with blockchain starting to take root and becoming increasingly more mainstream, people are under the pretense that on-chain activities that allow you to be rewarded for good activities mm. and good actions will start to take shape and it'll potentially dictate how we interact and behave in society and culture, right? Mm. Which is a expansion of what already exists like this whole social credit system social what is it like your um your credit, credit rating all that stuff is already like a light weight version of it but now it's like you know Sharice if you go and you get Nike points Nike tokens for posting a photo of a Nike on your social media suddenly that becomes a new type of incentive where it just pushes you to just do that stuff and only things that are rewarded, which I think for us, I think we've had this discussion where sometimes rewarding things outright doesn't necessarily drive the most value on a a more sort of like community level, right? And I, I'm not saying that this will ne- severely or negatively impact the gaming world, but it is a consideration in terms of aligning incentives. Yeah, totally. And I suppose part of my concern you said dystopian. I don't know if I would necessarily say that because part of me understands, oh, I guess it would be a dream if you could spend two hours a day playing a video game and therefore make enough money to pay rent and buy groceries and you therefore don't need a nine to five job. Yeah. That I understand the appeal of that. But then another part of me feels like you're earning money through a system that is very unrelated to a tangible outcome. Yeah. But I, I, I guess I, I'm, bef- I'm usually of the opinion that people should work less. Yeah. That it is more interesting to imagine a world where we don't work. Yeah. However, I do like that people do things like whether we call it work or not that are related to the physical world that we're in. And I understand that the currency is linked like the token is linked to fiat. But. The activities that you're doing in the game exist solely in this fictional galaxy. Yeah. I as much as you might say that, like, what are your thoughts on streamers who make their money through streaming? I think of streaming as entertainment. This to a degree is like some sort of byproduct of entertainment. It's not that far removed. Like I'm creating value in this ecosystem for someone else to continue to have entertainment value. And one other thing, too, is that I think that Star Atlas, because of the way it's set up in a more decentralized manner where there isn't like that same sort of lack of ownership amongst the players will allow people to maybe generate a more outsized return than if they're trying to make money through YouTube, for example, mm-hmm. because YouTube as a platform will probably just take a bigger cut. Yeah, totally. I mean, it is more realistic that you could earn a significant chunk of money by playing Star Atlas than by trying to be a Twitch streamer right now. I I completely see that. However, you know what you said about how do I feel about streamers? I don't think of their work as being the video game playing, but it's the performance for an audience. Yeah. Which is the people that follow them. Yeah. Whereas like Star Atlas or any future video games that are like this. The work is literally the activity you do in the game. And this brings me to talking about what you do in the game, which I don't feel great about, but it's very subjective because the game activities are supposed to be related to blockchain as well. 
Like it's a game on the blockchain that is also about blockchain. Because as a player, you find places in the galaxy to mine, and then you mine those places for assets, and then you go into a marketplace and mm-hmm. you trade those assets mm-hmm. and sell them. And I just feel like it's too much a reflection of like the actual real world blockchain activities. Like I mean, I don't know why, but for me, this is why I said this is such a subjective take. But for me, if you were doing something else that was more fictional, like I don't know, I don't. It, for me, it, it reminds me of when I used to play Age of Empires, and I would cut down wood and mine ore and gold and go sell at the market. It's kind of the same thing. I don't think that I don't look that oh, deeply into it. We talked about Fortnite in the intro. Yeah, I would probably be more excited about this gameplay in relation to blockchain if it was like Fortnite. And by playing Fortnite, I earned money. Mm-hmm. And it was just, it was exactly Fortnite gameplay, but it translated into... I mean, but that's more of an issue you have with the type of game. Yeah, you're no, you're that's more... Why, that's why you, I said it was subjective. Yeah, you're more I than happy that. with the setup. Like, you're cool with the setup. You're just yeah. not so happy the about game, the... I think that what the game is will affect the reception of it. Okay. I mean, it is subjective. I am giving my game critic opinion, but I find this gameplay to be not very appealing All right. as a game. Regardless, that, that's beyond that. Because some people love StarCraft. They love Age of Empires. This is kind of sure. like that. I what accept that. I did. Okay. To your point, there is a game out there that is a dollar a kill. So you get paid a dollar and you lose a dollar. It's a, obviously a first-person shooter, and yeah. you can level up and whatnot. That'd probably be more up your alley. So if you yeah. end the game with, I don't know, 20 kills and seven deaths, then I you would make $13. I think my discomfort, which we've already established, is an opinion, and there are many people who love things like AoE, is about how closely the gameplay is tied to reality. And oh, I feel like it would have been you don't more like. creative if it was you, separated. I love I love reality-based games. Oh, Interesting. So it goes. So your your bone is really the fact that it's just too closely. I mean, I, I also mentioned a concern about, you know, this distinction between entertainment and work. Can a game genuinely be entertaining and attractive when it becomes the way in which you earn money? Question mark. Uh, speaking from experience, it changes. It's like a grind. That, that is my guess. But maybe they have a way to circumvent that, you know? To- and there's also like pressure that comes with it. Like if I go play Sunday football with my teammates and we just do it for fun and you lose because you messed up, it's different than if you play because you're getting paid for it and you miss, you end up missing on a penalty kick. Right. And your whole and your team loses. Right. Very different outcomes there. What I do think is interesting is that if an ecosystem is built around a game, doesn't that almost infinitely increase the chance of the game existing for a long time? Mm. Because people are so invested, like time's invested into it, money's invested into it. Like, is there a, a stat there on how much the ships cost? Okay. In their Galactic Asset Offering Phase 1, they sold a ship called the Ogrika Thripid, which is a ship model in the game. The unit price was 9,000 USD. They sold 729 units, which resulted in $6,561,000. That's crazy. And it's a crazy way of funding the game. Like, think about how much money they've raised right away. Yes. That is inspiring, I will say. 
for game development. And Ryan Fu says that as well in his conclusion, quote, for what it's worth, Star Atlas will be the first AAA game that demonstrates how NFTs and digital asset ownership can be used to fund a game's development and operations by becoming the major liquidity provider of Atlas and Polis, the tokens. They should be able to fund the development of the game. This will be a huge step for legitimizing play and earn as a business model for game developers and publishers. Yeah. I think that as a conclusion is important to say because, I mean, we have an interest in what does the future look like? Yeah. Where are things headed? And Star Atlas points at a, a potential direction for games to go in. Yeah. I wanted to go back to what you were saying about longevity. So they've actually, I mean, they did the pre-sale. And they're prepared to start a mini web game that begins next month. Mm -hmm. Basically, they have a long line of activities planned, even before the actual game is released. They basically did a Kickstarter. It's a very <laughs> clever marketing and gaming structure. And it's very different from a lot of AAA games, which will not show you anything or let you experience anything until the moment where you can pay 60 USDs for the or, final product. Or like a few few weeks, right? Yeah. 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 Which I think is a good model as well, even for non-blockchain games to consider that type of audience engagement and that type of strategy. It's such an interesting funding method though, right? Like let's say that Call Star Atlas Generation 1 comes out. If they want to start funding for the second one, then you just do a pre-sale on some upcoming ships for the next season. Yeah. Brilliant. One thing I did want to say is that for an incoming generation, in-game assets with liquidity, like these ships, if you can take it and sell it out, it becomes like their savings account. They don't really need a bank, right? I don't need to go and like sit in a bank and try to like, uh, you know, run through a questionnaire for that's overly complex. Like there's no reason why people couldn't, just like how people are trading NFTs right now, right? There's yeah. a different way for you to generate wealth or like money. It is so interesting. It is a bit, I don't even know, is this dystopian or not? But the younger generation has so many ways in which they can potentially earn money. None of them are a nine to five office job. Like Everything that exists in the past plus a plethora of other yeah, things. Yeah. And that is both weird because it means that you could become pressured to keep lots of different streams of revenue going mm -hmm. as a very young person, but also potentially very liberating. Yeah. I think one of the challenges that anytime something like this comes up and it has a success story like Star Alice has had, let's say someone starts a new game tomorrow and uses the exact same playbook. Some people might FOMO in or ape in, as they like to call it, and basically just pile a bunch of money because they missed on Star Atlas. And for whatever reason, this new game doesn't ship, crashes and burn, and like you're out money. And I think that you see and hear so many success stories around NFTs, but that's also confirmation bias because no one really likes to share if they lost 20 grand on a bunch of NFTs they bought. Yeah, I mean, I'm reminded again of our conversation last week about paradigm shifts. And even reading this article challenges me to evaluate the paradigms I hold because it is. It's a different system for video games. And I experience both like resistance, like wanting to write it off. And at the same time, what you're saying about FOMO, like, oh, maybe I should start playing Star Atlas. Get rich quick scheme. Should we move on? 
Let's do it. All right. So first off, my topic this week is why captions are everywhere on TikTok. Glasses for your ears by Brian Contreras. And this is for the LA Times. So let me start off by saying I really like this topic because of the implications of tech on media, which I guess is an ongoing theme. We run a quasi-media outfit here, right? Like we have a vested interest in how people approach both the creation and consumption of media. Uh, and we'd agree that technology has really changed how we consume media for a variety of reasons, like both our attention span, how much is out there, where to find it, the different mediums, et cetera, et cetera. So this topic discusses how the future or the current web as we know it is really heavy on non-auditory video, which means basically soundless video. I don't know why I'm I overcomplicated it. I'm only chuckling because we're doing a podcast, which is a audio only format. Yeah. And we're talking about a format that is no audio prioritizes yeah. well not no audio but prioritizes people's experience without the audio on all right so one of the early quotes features tiktok star Alyssa mckay who does a lot of music based content super popular i mean not in my world per se because I, I we don't have tiktok in hong kong we don't have tiktok but even if we did we're not her target audience yeah. eugene yeah what does Alyssa McKay say? All right. to she the says LA that Times? our attention spans are so short now that I feel like closed captioning and putting the captions up on the screen if closed captioning is an option is so crucial. It captures the attention of the, it captures the attention of people and they're able to actually process what's going on. And what's interesting is closed captioning is making a bit of a comeback because all the genre of films, foreign films rank the worst in the United States. I think in general, anyone that has to read just generally doesn't like you know, that video and movie experience, you're smirking. Well, because we grew up, oh, sorry, I say we as if Eugene is included in this, but he's not. I grew up in Hong Kong watching subtitled everything. Yes. TV shows, the news, movies, always Chinese subtitles, often Chinese and English subtitles. Yes. So I'm just used to it. You know what? That is so true. Because the world are not. <laughs> that is very true. Because I remember when I was watching like Hong Kong kung fu movies. In like from the 80s and 90s, there's always subtitles. Subtitles are close to my heart because it's basically how I learned Chinese. But to support that, 75% of people overall and 85% of millennials in the United States all keep their phone on mute. I keep my phone on mute. I keep my phone on mute. Yeah. And unless it's something interesting, then I will turn it on. Two out of two in our survey. Yeah. 100%. But there's also another reason why people are not shying away from subtitles because like actually it's a byproduct of a lot of things. It's you know, maybe they share a home and they're sleeping housemates. There's ambient background noise. There's dialogue muffling sound mixes. I mean, that's, I, I haven't really thought of anything that I've watched recently that has had that. Um, or there's accents in mainstream. I recently was watching Squid Games. Was it good? Or Squid Game. Such a tangent. I'm going to ask but, you anyway. Is it good? I mean, uh, we, we rammed through like six episodes in one night. Like I watched it till like 4 a.m. I fell asleep halfway through the last <laughs> we'll episode. in that to talk about later. Um, but that's an example of where I had to be very focused because it's in Korean. I don't know if I could have turned on the voice actors, 
but I left it as is. One other reason why subtitles are a comeback, and maybe I'm jumping ahead of you, is that often we're looking at things on a second screen. Yeah. So there was this really great phrase I liked from the article, continuous partial attention. Oh, yeah, that was a good one. I'm not actually sure. The article doesn't make totally clear who coined that or if it's like a general theory about a state of distraction. Anyway, I thought it was such an accurate description of the way we go about life. Like how often do you have a conversation with someone and they pick up their phone and start like tapping away? We're hardly having an actually 100% concentrated conversation right now because I'm looking at my laptop and you're looking at your phone. Yeah. I mean, technically we're looking at notes, but a message could pop up at any time. That's kind of partial attention. What I did find interesting about this whole movement was also closed captioning is the byproduct of successful advocacy of disability groups, which, like I said, but what you said before is true. It's like in in Asia, I think closed captioning, because there's so much consumption of global media that is not in the native language results in closed captioning, that it's less of an issue. Like, I don't think that there's big advocacy or campaigns here in regards to this specific topic of making content accessible because it's already built in, right? But it is interesting because it's such a big discussion within the United States. There is an increase in advocacy. I saw some news. I don't remember the particulars here for more sign language interpreters and to have that. So this is like next level, actually, in Hong Kong, since subtitles is already so established. The next level here is can we add sign language interpretation to as many programs and channels as possible? Yeah. It's pretty nuts. Yeah. I mean, you see it quite often, like viral videos where you have sign language interpreters at concerts and they always get like a lot of respect because of the way they're able to keep up. Yeah. But I think that's that's a great addition. This kind of reminds me of Kat Holmes' book, Mismatch, How Inclusion Shapes Design. And this idea that actually when you design for accessibility to as many people as possible, it makes the experience better across the board. And we've definitely mentioned this on several episodes before. And subtitles is an excellent example of it in real life. Yeah. It does change the delivery of a message as well, because you can't read a ton of text and you need to fit it within what is relatively small real estate on a phone screen, right? So that, that, that was actually part of my interest too is like obviously singing this mimics the karaoke experience but other times like and i'm sure you've read you've seen it too you watch either reposted videos where it's only like you know three to five words right and it's meant to convey and i don't know it's like i don't know how successful this is outside the realm of entertainment like it's purely an entertainment centric device in my opinion like, does this really, it's, you wouldn't be able to use this in anything but short form video because it just doesn't provide enough context. Like you're basically looking for a very hyper specific moment where you're, you're not going to change scenes or anything. It really has to just be one thing. There's one act, basically. I was going to say, I think that there are applications for this in art, but we could be talking about almost anything. And with a little bit of a leap of imagination, it could be applied to fine art and visual arts projects. But I suppose what I mean, and this is something that comes up with my students, is how do you incorporate different elements together where the 
whole becomes increasingly significant because of its complexity. So with these videos, it's a combination of moving image and then text visualized and sound. And the three together in an ideal situation creates a unique and more layered product. I think this type of media consumption also differs based off of your your surroundings. Because for example, if you're staying at home more often, then there's no, there's no reason why you need to have the sound off potentially. Or just like commuting, you'd have headphones, et cetera. So I'm very curious how like the pandemic potentially might have influenced this trend or movement. Because like for me, I have my phone on silent, but that's more from notifications. If I watch a video, actually, you know what, when it is on, on Instagram stories, I know it's so throwaway that I never really bother having audio on. The article doesn't go into this very much, but I wonder if audio is more distracting than visual content for the regular person. So jumping from audio snippet to audio snippet is more jarring and stress inducing than when you just scroll through a visual feed. This is my hypothesis based off of my own experience as to why I don't have audio on, because if I had to for even, I think, two minutes of scrolling and be hearing every audio for a split second, that would, it would, it, I'd have to lie down immediately oh, after taking a nap. One, one other thing that is not really of massive interest, but it's just like a kind of a capping off point is that despite this movement around a lot of closed captioning, a lot of marketers are still creating audio focused 15 second and 30 second ads. TVCs, yeah. yeah. Which I think is, Interesting because I think it, I almost group this type of communication into two forms. One where it's actually part of the content, where like there's small design, where there are small design decisions, meaning I wrote out the caption, I placed it a certain way, I chose the font. And the other one is just very vanilla closed captioning to convey the words. Mm, 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 Yeah. The ones that appear as, design decisions are a little bit more interesting to me because I think they stand out and they they force you to maybe focus a bit more because you're trying to reorientate yourself. I, obviously, if it's too much, then you you might get, you know, led astray. But otherwise, I think it's a good approach. That's all from me. I think that's a good place to cap things off. If you are interested in hearing more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories focus on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at makein.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by sharing this podcast with a friend or supporting us via patreon.com slash Patreon members get access to the Macon Discord where we talk about episodes of Making It Up and everything else going on in global creative culture. Become a member and join us in those conversations. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.